Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky, and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. Welcome to another beautiful summery week from Wisconsin. And we have our full panel and a special panelist with us this week to talk about the state budget and a lot of the big news that's been going on both here in the state of Wisconsin, but also federally, a lot of political news that we're going to dive into with our panel. But let's get to our panel. We have a special guest this week who's joining us on the panel, and that is Joanna Bouch, our Movement Politics Director. Joanna's been with us multiple times. Joanna, good to have you. Hey, Matt. Hey, y'all. Good to be here. And I should also state that Joanna is the uh, is one of our major hosts of the new This Is Not That podcast. We encourage you to listen to that. Um, but we also have with us our, our panelist who's always with us to cover healthcare, our healthcare director, Claire Zauke. Good to have you, Claire. Uh, thanks. Good to be here. And Robert Craig. Robert's on vacation, but he uh, thought he'd uh, join us this week to talk a little bit about the news. Uh, Robert, it's good to have you with us, our executive director here at Citizen Action. Robert. Good day, everyone from liberal Boston. Folks, we have a bunch to talk about and uh, we're going to dive into the state budget. When we recorded last week, we recorded a Thursday morning, and it was before Governor Evers announced that he was assigning the budget. Um, and so we have not really had a chance to fully debrief it. We have talked extensively about the state budget, including last week. We sort of knew that Evers was not likely to veto the whole budget. We did not know whether there'd be a lot of uh, line item vetoes or, you know, maybe we certainly were holding out hope that he might veto the whole budget because it was so bad. Um, Well, now we know, and uh, we have this full panel and I wanna start to get everyone's uh, take on it initially, but I just wanna set and say that we, one of the things we talked about was the problem about signing this budget, right, or doing this is that you essentially have a real issue where you're taking the Republican budget, right, and trying to make it sound positive. And, th- and that creates, certainly for us as progressives and folks, uh, you know, on the movement left uh, as, as a challenge. And that see, that is precisely what happened, right? The governor certainly uh, wrapped his arms around the tax cut called it one of a uh, historic uh, tax cut, uh, really put a focus on how it would impact middle-class folks, even though we know, and we've talked about this, Claire brought the numbers up on the show, that this disproportionately impact, uh, uh, this tax cut went to uh, wealthier folks. Um, so with that, um, wanna get uh, everyone's thoughts. Claire, I'm gonna go to you first on this. Uh, and, and, and then, uh, Joanna, you can go next and then Robert, let's, I just want to get your initial thoughts and then let's get into a discussion, uh, where we go next after this, but, uh, Claire, your thoughts on the budget. Uh, I'll say that starting off first, um, I, I understand that tax cuts are popular amongst folks just as a brand, (laughs) um, but, I was really disappointed to see um, the governor and Democrats uh, that are close to the governor leaning in so hard on celebrating the tax cuts of the state budget. 
I, I think I sat and watched the signing ceremony with just my jaw on the floor um, because it uh, sounded like a Republican speech um, celebrating bringing tax cuts to the state of Wisconsin. Um, and part of that is because I know um, that these are tax cuts that are disproportionately, um, massively disproportionately um, of supporting wealthier Wisconsinites, um, that low and working class uh, and middle income Wisconsinites will receive very, very little of the benefit. Um, I, have a, I have a colleague in one of my coalitions who said that um, a Wisconsinite making under $35,000 a year will get something like three to $4 over the course of the entire year in tax cuts. So he said, you know, you could get a candy bar, a cup of coffee or a pack of gum, but not all three, like with the tax cut that was passed. So I can't take, I can't take credit for that zinger. Um, I am just sharing it. Um, but I think it illustrates just how bad these tax cuts are. And then furthermore, they set us up to be in a position of weakness in funding the programs that these low working and middle class Wisconsinites need moving forward in future budgets, right? Because we're starting with less resources and less money. So I, I continue to be flummoxed as to why people are celebrating these tax cuts, um, why uh, Democrats are doing themselves such a disservice by not railing against how unfair these tax cuts are. Um, and uh, I, I guess it's up to us to, to try to help folks understand that um, very likely, you know, unless you are uh, really a, a quite wealthy person are, are not gonna see much of a benefit from, from these tax cuts. Joanna? Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm right there with you, Clara. I appreciate the breakdown that you have been giving um, on the battleground, you know, the past couple of weeks pre-Governor uh, Evers signing the, this this budget. But I mean, I guess I'm not surprised. I mean, look at the first budget he put out, um, right? Look at the first budget he signed uh, when, when we weren't um, approaching an election year. Um, I didn't expect too much from him. Um, and you know, even when I think about his campaign promises um, for the middle class, right, like the middle class, when I think about my organizing and the work that I'm doing, I am working for the working people, right? Like I'm talking about people that make 17K a year, right? I mean, that doesn't even fall into that um, that income tax rate of 20, 24K to 263K, right? Like it's not even, they're not even part of the conversation. Um, and so I would say the the extra disappointment um, comes from the seven Democrats um, that between the two houses that voted in favor of this um, Republican budget. Um, and then the continued praises that we're seeing in um, press releases from these legislators. Like, I don't understand. I just don't get it. Um, we already have a huge confusion amongst uh, around elections and um with our with Wisconsinites, right? Like there's a lot of confusion. We need more political education and this just further confuses folks. Um, and and I, that does not make me happy. Robert? So Claire and Joanna make excellent points and leaning into the, both the tax cut, the substance of it and the rhetoric of it, the governor's signing address is the right thing to do. Uh, 
And you have to contrast it to the national level where, and this is true in Wisconsin as far as voters, just not leaders, there's a surging progressive wing of the party. Progressives are winning primaries. Two progressives played a massive role and were front runners in the presidential race that Biden won from the moderate wing. But it made Biden and moderate Democrats at the national level uh, go far more progressive while trying to hold together a big tent that goes all the way to conservatives like Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema. And it's a, it's a very different dynamic. The Biden administration is calling for tax increases on corporations and on the wealthy and a rollback of much of the Trump tax cuts to fund massive new investments. The rhetoric that Governor Evers used last Thursday is reminiscent of the retreat era of the Democrats in the 1990s. It sounds like it's some type of page out of history uh, from the Clinton administration. And that triangulation where we try to be better than the Republicans, the Republican issues, not only got us into the current situation we're in in terms of inequality, lack of access to health care, uh, structural racism getting worse, uh, every, uh, not doing anything on climate, but it has been rejected by most of the National Democratic Party. And so it's a striking contrast because the U.S. Senate race is going to is going to have a very different direction. Every candidate that we've talked to is running to the left, whether they're in the moderate or the fully progressive wing. And that's not happening with Governor Evers because sound like a throwback candidate. And that, and I, I agree entirely with Joanna to discredit to the public because it doesn't clearly explain what's wrong with this budget and it doesn't create clear election issues. But I know we're going to a break fairly soon, but I just want to take a step back because the usual progressive stance and on this show everywhere is to stand out, stand aside, kind of back and critique what a leader like Governor Evers did. And we don't have full governing responsibility. None of us are the ones up tonight not able to sleep, worried that if I do veto the budget, it will hurt kids even worse and their educations than because what the Republicans will do and their willingness not to govern. Uh, and so we don't have that responsibility. But I want to talk about our responsibility in all of this, because what I want to say after the break, Pat, is, is that this is a failure of all of us. Everyone in the whole broad Democratic tent, not just the governor, we sometimes um, over put everything into one individual. That individual reflects a, an ecosystem that needs to be talked about after the break. Yep. With that, we got to take a break. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin or Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're talking about the state budget that was signed by Governor Evers last week. It's our first crack at really getting a chance to talk about it. And um, look, we've laid out our disappointment. Uh, we And I think we're right to center it around particularly some of the tax cuts. Those things are permanent. They create structural problems. And they impact, as Claire rightly said, all the funding, all the things that we care about. Um, Robert, before the break, you started to transition us a bit uh, into a conversation about sort of how do we all take responsibility for what happened? This isn't really Governor Evers is just one actor in this, and and we all have agency, and our movement has agency in this. And I definitely want to spend us time because talking about how do we start to to take responsibility for changing what happened and creating 
relationship structures and electing potentially leaders who can maybe chart out a different vision. That's very important. Robert, you were going to get us into that. I wanted to give you an opportunity to immediately jump in. And then Claire and Joanna, I want you to be able to follow up with your thoughts about this. And I know, Joanna, you've done extensive thought of as our movement politics director and our leading. And we'll talk about more of that later in the show on this. Uh, but Robert, get us just kick us off with the thoughts that you were about to say right before the break. Yeah, and there's certainly more to be said about the structural deficit Matt just mentioned and how the governor, if he wanted a tax cut, could have vetoed this one and said, bring me one back that helps everyone and really is a middle class tax cut and really does do. Uh, This doesn't help anyone who doesn't owe enough taxes. The lowest income, 20 percent, I'll get zero, even lower. And then it creates a structural deficit. It'll be harder to raise taxes later. And, a lot, and Walker had already created a ton of structural deficits. And of course, we had, we've been under-investing education for decades, and healthcare for that matter, and the higher ed system. And this was the time with the huge federal investment brought by progressive Democrats who had courage and vision uh, to start to make those investments again. And we punted it, but it's we. And here's why I say that. Politics is the Democratic Party, I mean, I mean the whole thing. I don't mean the structural institution. I don't mean what Ben Wickler runs. I mean the whole thing, all the nonprofits, all the grassroots activists, everyone's involved, all the elected officials. It is, it, that, has, that is a whole ecosystem that goes way beyond an individual like a governor. A governor will move if it moves him, even a governor like Tony Evers. They respond to pressure. And that's what you're seeing with Biden. Biden was the kind of politician that would play in the completely moderate 1980s, 1990s, early aught style Democratic lane and did so for most of his Senate career, but read the tea leaves and went way left once he became the nominee for president after winning it. And since then, and it's held to that. And there are disappointments. He doesn't go all the way to Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, but he's gone a long way in that direction, but he is trying to govern. And it is a very different dynamic here. So you had seven legislators vote for this budget. Now, they partly did it because Governor Evers in 2019 didn't back them up when they all voted against it. So they but then he used that to say it was a bipartisan budget, which was as big a lie as this is a middle class tax cut. Uh, But then where are the where are the groups? How many negative press releases were there about the budget, or how many of them were like Stockholm Syndrome kind of press releases, praising the governor and using his language, including from, uh, I'll say it, allies of ours, like major unions, but not just them. A lot of, lot of groups, a lot of groups that say they're progressive. There are a few that have stood out and been very honest, kids forward, wisdom, and I'm sure I'm missing some. I'm just giving two for example. Uh, Heather Duwabanan from the, uh, from, the education, uh, from the education advocacy group, uh, WPN um, has been outspoken, not in the press release, but in, in press comments, which is excellent. Uh, but, and beforehand, how many were calling for vetoes? We were, Kids Forward was, Wisdom certainly, and Wisdom's been protesting in front of the governor's house because his original budget was terrible on his promise to cut prison population in half. We have to admit that too. There were a lot of problems with the, with the, the current budget that he introduced was the best he's introduced, but it was hardly a great budget. Didn't match up to what the National Democrats are doing. But what are we doing? And it includes this in action because, yeah, we called for veto. We organized around badger care expansion. And, uh, and we were, we've been more critical in the post-press. But quite frankly, 
we didn't move the party to the left enough. And when I talk about what we're doing, because the way to take responsibility is to do things. That's why Joanna is um, on the podcast uh, and on Battleground Wisconsin this week in part to talk about that. But we need more progressive candidates. What happened at the national level is that progressives organized, organized on issues, right? There was a huge outpouring. It accelerated under Trump. And because uh, we didn't achieve very much in the Obama administration, let's face it, uh, particularly we, we let crisis go to waste as the Great Recession and made inequality worse. Uh, but here's the thing, right? Progressive candidates went and challenged a lot of moderates and took them out. And that makes everyone, the Chuck Schumers of the world, go and become more progressive. And that isn't happening in this state. We're muddling it all. And the governor wants to muddle it. Uh, that's that's what his political people say. And I understand electorally what happens is they don't want to look bad and say things aren't working. Right. Because then that says he's failing in leadership. But he can't lead with this legislature. and He needs to tell the truth to the public. But we all need to be a part of making that happen. We haven't uh, that we haven't moved the discussion to the left in Wisconsin, like other states and at the national level where it's happened with the Democratic Party and other places. And we need to do that. So, Joanna, I want to turn to you here because we've been having conversations about this for a couple of, at least a couple of years now within Citizen Action, and this budget process uh, is accelerating our conversations. And you have been working for a couple of years on trying to help us start build out what we're calling a movement politics program uh, that thinks from the ground up, how do we do a better job of even just starting to recruit and identify and lean in on new leaders and leaders who will look to do structural reform. Could you tell us a little bit more about that program? And I know you have news to announce this week about a new part that you're launching this week to try to get more serious about this work. Yeah, um, you know, we've talked about how, you know, movement politics turns into movement governing, right? We build relationships with these candidates as they're running for office. Um, and then we work to get them elected. And then once they're elected, we've have, we have this established relationship where we are working together to put forward progressive legislation. Um, big announcement, we have launched our Movement Politics Academy. Our application has just gone live yesterday. Um, this is a nine week program that talks about ideology and progressive values. Uh, it has political education, right? Like I said earlier in the first segment, um, we need that education, right? Wisconsinites need that political education. Um, and so I'm looking forward to, to having this program begin this fall. Um, you know, we have a lot of, I believe that we currently have, you know, these progressive candidates or elected officials that we need, right? We have them but they're in such few numbers, right? We need to send more people to support them. And so that's what this program is gonna do. It's gonna support people at the grassroots level, you know, regular people. We are looking to recruit women, people of color, LGBTQ folks, poor people, um, people that are, you know, living in, in, in Wisconsin um, that are like having probably the worst experience, right? Like, I, again, wanna shout out Clara. I'm on one of the podcasts I heard her say that, 52% of tax filers make less than 40K, right? There's not enough rich Wisconsinites for people to build campaigns that target rich Wisconsinites. It's not enough. We need to activate our base, um, right? Which is people of color, women. I believe by 2050, this state is gonna be a majority people of color state. Um, and we need to be ready for it, right? Like this is, 
you know, this is an academy and a training program that's going to support people that want to see change in their community. But um, one thing I do want to stress about this is like, you have to be in it for the long haul, right? And, and I know I hate saying that because we have been in it for the long haul, right? I'm 33 years old. And my mom has been in the service industry her entire work career, and she's never made $15 an hour, right? Um, and she's about to retire. She's never made $15 an hour. So I know we've been in it for the long haul, but we got to keep going. Like I said, um, this program is going to develop people so that maybe not even my generation is going to see the outcome of it. But we're, we got to start somewhere. And I believe that this is what this program is doing. And, and so I just want to encourage people to please reach out to me, Joanna B at citizenactionwi.org. I'd love to share more information about this, um, get you the application, um, see how you fit in this program um, that's targeting, like I said, women of color, people um, that are coming from marginalized communities um, to empower them to run for office. We need a new type of leadership in Wisconsin. We need an exciting leadership that's gonna activate our base. Um, and I'm looking forward to see what this program is going to produce. One of, uh, one of the things that we're really excited about this project and that we think is you know, really needed is making the, connect, the connections, the networks, uh, helping connect our folks nationally. Uh, uh, Joanna's program is gonna be connected to our national network, People's Action, where we have a number of other states that are trying to do similar things we want to be able to connect these uh, new leaders who will look to do structural change in our communities together. So, because uh, we think that's part of what's also needed to help support this work. It's challenging work uh, that we're doing. Um, but Joanna, I just, uh, it's super exciting. Let folks know, uh, uh, give them your contact info. If someone wants to reach out to you uh, to talk more about it and, and find out more about uh, the Academy uh, and see if it's right for them. Yeah, for sure. So I just shared my email address. So y'all can hit me up via email. Otherwise, hit my line 414-931-1758. Uh, I really, really want to have these conversations. There's, they are necessary. Like Matt said, we need to build this community of progressive leaders, right? Because we can't get anything done when we're a team of one, right? We need to build power um, in elected offices, you know, at all levels of government, right? This isn't just about the state legislature, right? We're talking about school board. We're talking about city council, county supervisors, you know, local seats. We need to start there and then just continue to build it up. Um, and with that, we, Joanna, we got to take a break. We'll be, we'll be shortly returning. Uh, if you have some more comments that you want to say about the Academy, we'll do that right after the break. But we have got to go. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin, where Citizen Action can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Joanna, in our previous segment, uh, got the chance to tell us all about the new Movement Politics Academy that uh, the application just went live this week on our website. Again, we'll have a link to that. Again, if you are interested in that, please reach out to Joanna or just go on and fill out the application. Uh, Joanna, was there anything else you wanted to say about the Academy before we move on? I don't think anything that I've already said, you know, I just, I want to stress how much um, this is something new, right? We've, we have training programs that exist in Wisconsin that support people that want to run for office. We do. And we want to lift those up, right? Wisconsin progress, emerge. Um, 
they're all doing wonderful things, great things, working super hard. Um, you know, we've had conversations with those folks that are leading those programs. This, this academy that we are launching at Citizen Action, um, like I said, focuses on ideology, focuses on progressive values, progressive platforms, um, the, the political education, like how did we get here? How did this, how, how did we end up here, right? Um, and, and yeah, I'm just, I'm really excited for it. I, I can't wait to have more conversations with people. You know, I, I was talking with um, one of the leaders from Lit yesterday, mm -hmm. talking about trying to get young people engaged. Um, you know, I've, I had a conversation with someone um, who told me, you know, they never talked about elections and politics when they were growing up, right? Like they have a bad relationship with voting. Um, and, and, and I understand that, right? Like marginalized communities have been hurt by our government instead of supported. And so this is something that's very much like I'm asking y'all to believe in. And like, so let's talk about it. Let, you know, let's get some dope people to apply and let's start running these progressive candidates. Well, Joanna, really appreciate the vision. Very excited about this and excited about just trying to, for us to be thinking about how how can we be the change that we want, right? Uh, and actually create the world that we want, you know, and not just certainly diagnose problems. So very excited about that. But with that, we are going to change topics and uh, we're going to start to talk about all the exciting things that are happening at the federal level. It does stand in sharp contrast, as we point out all the time, to what's going on at the state level. And Claire, Get your voice box ready. You've had a little bit of a break, but uh, I'm coming to you because uh, there was big news this week on the healthcare front. Our senator, our U.S. Senator Tammy Baldwin, continues to lead on healthcare. Uh, she is not only a supporter of Medicare for all, but wisely uh, says if there is anything we can do to expand healthcare any way, she's going to look into it. Uh, she released a new bill this week with. Uh, the uh, senators from Georgia. Tell us more about it. It would uh, hopefully get some Medicaid resources into uh, some states that have refused. Let our listeners know more, please, Claire. Yes, this is very exciting. Um, and I... Uh, I have a lot to say, so I'm going to try really hard not to just like talk for the rest of this segment because I am so excited about so many things happening at the federal level right now around healthcare expansion. <laughs> it's just like, it was just been like a really exciting week, right? Like last week was kind of a bummer in state politics. And then this week, federal politics was like, it's okay, Claire, I'm gonna make you feel better. <laughs> here's some stuff to, here's some stuff to lift your spirits. Um, okay. So let's start with the Medicaid Saves Lives Act, um, which is uh, sponsored, lead sponsors of um, Senator Baldwin for Wisconsin, obviously. Love her, queen. Uh, and then we have Senators uh, Warnock and Ossoff from Georgia. And this is in response to a rapid progression, I mean, like really the fastest progression of policy interest that I've, I've seen in a maybe ever um, out, out of Congress um, uh, in um, sort of seeing that over the past year, uh, many, many non-Medicaid expansion states like Wisconsin have turned down uh, the opportunity to do Medicaid expansion in their states, even after the American Rescue Plan's uh, extra financial incentive to do so uh, within the next couple of years. And um, 
so I think these members of Congress just kind of looked around and said, they're not going to do it on their own. We're going to have to step in and uh, provide uh, an even greater incentive for them to do so and um, a, a safety net, a stopgap to support people in these states until uh, the state government decides to do uh, Medicaid expansion. And so they created this bill um, that does two things. Um, so first, it creates an extra super duper financial incentive for states to do uh, Medicaid expansion. So uh, we've talked about how the American Rescue Plan would have provided about a billion and a half dollars to Wisconsin over the course of two years. And that was through increasing the federal um, reimbursement and support for the state's Medicaid program, which we call Badger Care, by uh, five percentage points. Um, this bill uh, for two years. Uh, this bill increases it to 10 percentage points for 10 years. So it takes the financial incentive from about a billion dollars to over $10 billion. So it really ratchets up the um, financial incentive for the state to do Badger Care expansion. Um, and um, secondly, it creates a new federal program that is sort of a stand along, stand next to Medicaid program that mirrors sort of a moderate quality state Medicaid program, but at the federal level that is exclusively for people who are in the Medicaid uh, expansion gap nationally. And in Wisconsin, that would be for people between um, 100 and 138% of the federal, federal poverty line, which is Wisconsin's specific Badger Care expansion gap. And um, this, is, this is important because it would give people who are in the Badger Care expansion affordability gap um, who we know many of them have, as we've talked about before, um, either no insurance or poor quality insurance that they can't afford to use, um, that they've purchased on the private market, um, that, that it could move those people um, into a federal program, which would um, at least be better than what they have now. Um, so this is very exciting. Um, but what's even more exciting is that beyond being a standalone bill that has gar garnered a lot of national support, it's this idea of a federal workaround to non-Medicaid expansion states uh, that has been included in the Senate Finance Committee's $3.5 trillion budget reconciliation package that was introduced on Wednesday of this week. Um, and that is like a whole separate issue that I am jazzed about. Um, but I am going to pause here for people to give reactions and then we can talk more about budget reconciliation. Yeah, I was going to say it's a that's a beautiful segue uh, to what's what's happening around the infrastructure. But Robert or Joanna, I want to give you first opportunity to respond to what uh, Senator Baldwin, Robert, if you have any thoughts on that, to give you a chance first before we transition to the infrastructure. I'll just say that this is an example of strong federal leadership in the Democratic Party. And you see the consequences here of the Georgia election, because the two Georgia senators and Tammy Baldwin are two non-expansion states. And you have um, uh, senators stepping up and doing what their states should have done for themselves, right? And so we need to get to that at the state level here in Wisconsin. 
Uh, but it's the kind of thing where the whole dynamic between the conservative wing of the party, Manchin and Cinema, and progressive is playing out. So this is part of the budget reconciliation package that came out of the Senate Budget Committee chaired by Bernie Sanders. And so that we have to hold these things in there. So just like I said, we all have agency, not just the grassroots organizations, but each individual activist in our failure at the state level uh, on, the, on the state budget, our collective failure. We now have this opportunity to get it done at the federal level. We didn't say that much about badge care expansion on the budget segments because we've talked about it a lot on Battleground Wisconsin. But issue still alive. It's just alive at the federal level, but we have to have agency in keeping it in the package and, and getting the Democrats and Biden to stay with it, despite the pressure just to uh, do this bipartisan package that is entirely inadequate, which we have to do both. It's a two-track strategy. With that, before we go to break, um, when we come back from break, we're going to dive in more into what's in this amazing, uh, in this current infrastructure bill. And we're also going to talk about some other things that are happening federally. But um, I do want to uh, remind our listeners, one of the things that's happening right now, right, we're going through redistricting and um, we are involved in trying to get folks engaged in that process. And there was a great editorial this week. I believe it was the State Journal talking about how this is going to require folks to be involved and engaged in putting pressure on in order to make sure we get the kind of maps we know we need. And as a part of that, um, we're doing some uh, events uh, to try and have folks participate in community map building. These are called Mappy Hours. And uh, we have uh, one in Milwaukee that's coming up next week. We still have events in Rice Lake, in Viroqua, uh, and I believe also Wausau. Um, we'll have links to all of those on our webpage. Really want to encourage you to get involved, make a community map. We're also training folks in our deep canvas skills uh, and uh, getting folks engaged in reaching out to voters, talking about redistricting and why it's so important. Obviously, and Robert's talked about this, one of the reasons we are where we are with this uh, current legislature is that they are not accountable to us because of gerrymandering. But that is similarly going to require tremendous amounts of our attention and public pressure. So please, folks, come on out to these Mappy Hour events, get involved, uh, and uh, learn more, stay engaged in the redistricting process over the next year. But with that, we got to take a break. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to The Battleground Wisconsin. We're talking about what's happening on the federal level. There's a number of things that are going on. Um, we'll get, hopefully, it would at least have a brief conversation too about some of the stuff that's going on around fighting back against the voter suppression. But we do need to talk more about this $3.5 trillion Senate budget uh, package around infrastructure. Uh, Claire, I wanted to at least kick it back to you and then Joanna, get your thoughts too on this um, uh, before we go back to Robert uh, to bring us out. But Claire, some of the details, there are a number of huge priorities that we've been talking about here at the Battleground Wisconsin that are in this uh, in this package. Tell us more. Yeah, so I want to um, make one quick 
clarifying correction from something you said. So this is not the infrastructure bill. This is the $3.5 trillion budget reconciliation bill that came out of the Senate Finance Committee. Um, Thank you. Yes, the Senate infrastructure bill is about $600 billion, and that is still moving forward separately and also has some really great things in it that we support. So traditional infrastructure like roads investments, but also um, care jobs, investing in direct the direct care workforce. So we still very much like that bill and it is still moving forward and we expected to do so this summer um but the uh but the news is this 3.5 trillion dollar plan which interestingly if taken in combination with the senate infrastructure bill gets us to um just over four billion or four trillion dollars in investment which is pretty close to what um president biden um called for in his broad build back better agenda so um so taking there's a reason why you think of them together, um, but it's I think it's important to make a distinction between what they are. Um, so this 3.5 trillion dollar um, budget reconciliation bill is important because you may remember from the last time we had a, a budget reconciliation bill um, designed and discussed. Um, this type of bill, um, if it can be designed appropriately, because there are special rules around how you do it, um, will not need 60 votes in the Senate um, to move forward. Um, we could do it with the 51 votes that we have if the entire- 50, 50, the magic <laughs> number. <laughs> yes, um, which is what we have in the US Senate on the Democratic side, plus um, Vice President Harris, obviously. Um, so, so this is an important tool for advancing an agenda, which is why you're going to hear me talking about um, this bill being jam-packed with so many different types of policies. Um, so the big news here on the healthcare front is number one, that it includes this federal workaround to non-Medicaid expansion states like Wisconsin that would help um, people in the Medicaid expansion gap have affordable quality coverage. This is critical, this is super important. The second thing is it does a really great um, stepping stone policy towards Medicare for all. It may not seem like a ton, but it's a big deal, um, which is expanding Medicare benefits for um, people who currently qualify for Medicare to include um, hearing, dental, and vision coverage, which it, it blows my mind um, that Medicare doesn't already cover hearing, vision, and dental because number one, those are parts of our body that are attached to the rest of our body. So they should be part of medical coverage. Um, but also like those are things that, um, that people as they age need to get service, right? That like they need to receive care on, right? Matt is showing us his glasses, like, hello. Um, so, so like these are important um, services. So, so that's um, two things, Medicare expansion and Medicaid expansion that are in this package. Um, really incredible. Plus extending the Affordable Care Act's uh, subsidies for people who purchase their coverage on the marketplace um, that were passed during the American Rescue Plan phase. Um, all of that is great. They're also talking about how they're going to pay for a lot of this, and they're doing it through, oh, sorry, and they're going to be investments in home and community-based services. Um, so people who receive caregiving services in their homes, right? It's so like all of these are things that we super support and you've heard us talk about it um, on this podcast and at Citizen Action. They're talking about how they're going to pay for it though. 
and how some of the ways you're going to pay for it include lowering prescription drug prices. I'm just so excited. It's like every single thing in healthcare that I care about is in this package. Now you may ask me, Claire, how can you lower prescription drug prices and then have that pay for all of these things? Well, let me tell you, it's because the federal government is like the biggest purchaser of prescription drugs in the country through programs like Medicare and Medicaid and the VA and Medicare in particular covers a ton of people in the United States and yet doesn't have the ability to negotiate for lower prices. And so this bill does not specifically say that drug prices are going to be lowered through price negotiations in Medicare, but like pretty much that's what everybody knows it's going to end up being. Um, because like that's that's how you save money. Um, so very, very exciting. Plus there's, okay, last thing. Plus there's like a ton of stuff in there from previous pieces of legislation that we've talked about it and really support, um, like things around addressing climate change, uh, around paid leave, around universal childcare, um, around investment in um, historically black colleges and universities, plus two free years of community college for all Americans, right? Like this is jam packed with goodies that are, are just like have me on cloud nine. Uh, Robert, I wanted to quick give you uh, or Joanna an opportunity to comment either around this. Robert, you may have some specific stuff about climate you want to bring up in this. Joanna, any thoughts you have? No, I'm just, I'm super excited. I'm here for everything that Claire just laid out. Um, I guess my, I I don't have any like initial thoughts. I kind of have questions. Um, So I'm looking forward to chatting with Claire after the show to learn more. But like my biggest thing is that is there any way that like our GOP led uh, uh, legislature here in Wisconsin could block this, right? Like we've, we've been here before where we've had an opportunity to um, take in a financial incentive to expand uh, Medicaid and like they've blocked it. Is, is that a possibility at all, Claire? Yeah, of course. So I have two things I'll say. So number one, my initial concern with um, a federal workaround to um, Badger Care expansion is that if the bill is not very carefully designed to take into consideration Wisconsin's um, unique situation of having a partial Medicaid expansion up to 100% of FPL, which um, none of the other non-expansion states do, um, that there could be an incentive for the Wisconsin Republican legislature to say, oh, now there's this federal program, we're going to cut back our eligibility and move every Wisconsinite in the gap, not just people between 100 and 138% to to this new federal program, right? And I actually expressed that concern to Senator Baldwin's office. And of course, because she is amazing, was like, I'm on top of it. And that's one of the reasons why she is on this bill um, as a lead sponsor, so she could design this program to take Wisconsin's special situation into consideration and um, have the bill designed so that um, that uh, there it would not be possible for Wisconsin's Republicans to kick a bunch of people off Badger care and then have those people be eligible for this new federal program. So you know, to be seen if they can pull some shenanigans, but we're at least trying to get in front of that one thing. The second thing I'll say is like, of course, right? Like we could have a political discussion about, is there any amount of money that is enough to make 
you know, Wisconsin's Republicans interested in taking Badger Care expansion. You know, if one billion wasn't enough, is 10 billion enough? I don't know, but at least it keeps the conversation going, right? And at least there's something to help people out um, in the interim while, um, while we continue to have this debate um, in Wisconsin. Robert, yeah, any thoughts you have about this and particularly if there's anything on the climate ang- angles? Folks need to know that this is not the bill language. This is the budget reconciliation. So it's the budget authority and the elements they would fund. So there is a lot more process to go through here, which means Joanna's question, activists need to ask that question repeatedly because uh, and, and with everything. Just to call out a couple things, this makes the uh, new child tax credit permanent, which cuts child poverty by 45% in Wisconsin, by far the biggest advance in 50 years that we had a number of events with our allies around the state about. So we need to hold on to that. This has, this meets the criterion of the, uh, that for of the progressive senators and representatives in the house who have said they won't vote for for a package. It doesn't include climate. So this isn't everything we need to do on climate, but it's the first big step in, in American history on climate, but it's not the 10 trillion we need to ultimately do. AOC is right about that. This includes on climate, I'll call out one particular thing, the Climate Conservation Corps, which is a new deal scale climate version of the old CCC from the, 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 the Civilian Conservation Corps from the New Deal, a giant jobs employment program that will be union and will funnel young people after their service into union jobs specifically, specifically for unions. It was um, the, the bill was crafted by Senator Markey from Massachusetts and by AOC in the House. And so there's a lot here to hold on to. What people need to understand is progressives have leverage because we have a progressive block of 90 representatives in the House and 10 senators of the, of the 50 in the Senate who are part of progressive blocks that are saying they will not vote for the bipartisan bill if it lacks a number of these things. And it's activism. They don't get, they don't, they're not powerful because big interests get the money. They're powerful because we speak out with one voice. And so folks need to call during this process. This process may go to October. It's a long process. And keep the pressure on so that it doesn't fall out. The, the signs were very good yesterday that Manchin will go along with this cinema from Arizona sounding more difficult, but this will be a roller coaster process. And so this is about us and it's about working together and it's about getting focused. If, you, if, if you're just calling and talking about things that aren't in there, then we're not gonna hold on to the things that are in there. We, and it's better to work with groups because we need to be focused here, folks. We need the voice to be understandable to the Biden administration, to the Senate. So there's a huge opportunity here, but there's a lot of work ahead for everyone who's a good, activist and a good citizen of this country. And by citizen, I and, don't mean have documents. I mean, and with that, Robert, we're going to have to bring this podcast to a close. Um, and I just want to add uh, that uh, I think it's really important that we all continue to look forward and try to find ways to build what we want. And we're going to, we're going to do that at citizen action, encourage folks. If you want to be involved in our movement politics Academy, please reach out to Joanna Bouch. With that, we got to wrap up this podcast. We want to thank our producer, Brian Wildridge, who makes it happen every week. And we'll see you next week at the Battleground, Wisconsin.